0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen, welcome DJs and Dgenettes, to another episode of the Alfalfa Podcast. We are four radically moderate entrepreneurs and investors serving up alpha in investing politics and life. We are Nick Urbani, Stephen Cesaro, Eric Johansson, and I am Arman Asadi. All links to everything, all the good stuff at alfalfapod.com, and of course, make sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. Or watching on YouTube. And hop in our Discord, because it is absolutely on fire right now. It's been an amazing week in there. And join us in the conversation as we swim in the messy gray ocean of I don't quite know the answer, because sometimes that truth is somewhere in the middle. Cheers, boys. Episode 27. Cheers. Cheers. I'm
1: uh, I'm not even Cheers. listening to you guys. I'm just checking out the Discord. Our Discord <laughs> is so fun. I'm hanging right out on. with those guys. They're a lot smarter than you guys. <laughs> <laughs> So the Discord, uh, it was their idea. It
2: was like the, the, the listener's idea to, to start an intros channel so we get to know everybody better. And the intros are so fun.
3: Yeah, they really are.
2: We have a yeah, Teletubby. May,
3: I, people got some uh, good origin stories here.
2: We have a Teletubby in our Discord. Can
3: Tinky you mention winky. that? Yeah,
0: can you explain? <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've seen that one yet. I'm, I'm star-struck. personally starstruck.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so one, one of the one of the members of our community... It like was the voice of a Teletubby. That's what you're telling. Well,
2: they me. didn't have any voices, but the, he uh,
0: he did the dance. Oh God, I need to watch <laughs> this. Okay, God, <laughs> that's amazing. We got it's celebrities. I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's the guy with
3: uh, Tinky Winky and Laser Eyes as his avatar.
0: <laughs> you are correct.
3: All Is right. it? Yeah, Thank you. I'm really good at my uh,
0: stories. Deductive reasoning. Yep. So we got an intros channel now. Uh, we're, we're having some, uh, uh, some debate ongoing about multi-channel uh, versus uh, keeping it uh, minimalism style. Uh, we have a minimalism maxi in the Discord. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, if you're not already in there, head to our website. The link is there. It's an absolutely amazing time. I think uh, just been so many interesting comments, but one of them, for example, was like, Tuning into the podcast is like having my dinner or my dessert. And then, you know, hopping into the Discord is like going to the bar afterwards and talking and chit chatting about whatever it might be guns or porn from the last episode or real estate and crypto, which was happening today, and I got to catch up. So the agenda today, as always, we'll kick off with our uh, alpha, alpha, alpha fire round, talking about our moves, talking about our trades. Not many on my end lately. Then we'll dive into the investing segment. Today, we're going to be talking about dollar milkshake theory, which has been a hot topic for a while, but I think it's become a little bit more relevant. Then for policy, obviously, there was huge... Crypto legislation. Yesterday, we're recording this on June eighth, twenty twenty two, and uh, we'll wrap it up with something super spicy, very interesting. What we're calling the Tinder effect. We're basically going to look at what the fuck is happening in the dating world and why a lot of uh, dudes seem to be struggling. I'll just tease it and leave it at at that, <laughs> and we'll we'll come back around to it. So um, I'll falloff around. Nick, you want to kick it off?
1: Yeah, sure. So I um, made a few trades, I guess more like scalps. Uh, one trade is going on. So I, I've been like uh, playing with going uh, leverage short on uh, Solana throughout this whole dip. I've been in and out of it. And I got in again around like 42. I don't know where it's at. Somewhere around 39. Uh, so went 5x short on Solana around there. Um, so it's still ongoing. We'll see, uh, where it goes from there. And I feel pretty good about it. Tell you what. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> I got, I got, um, in and out of some July expiration, uh, QQQ puts last week. So I think I was in on the second, got out, uh, on the third and, uh, you know, I, I I've been scalping these and, you know, just to be clear, like I, I'm net still losing money. So the, the whole reason to do this is to, you know, hedge against my my larger portfolio. So I'm losing a, using a very small amount of money to hedge. So, you know, my my overall portfolio, stock portfolio was, was down um, and this helped hedge. So I wasn't down as much as I would have been if I didn't hedge. So I'm going to continue to kind of like dip in and, and try to get some uh, further out expirations um, so I don't have to like watch these as closely. And then I did pass on a few of those... Uh, real estate deals we've been talking about the discord um just overall prepping to be uh more liquid over the next two to three months so that's kind of um what i've been looking at uh, in the last week interesting eric
0: you want to jump in?
2: yeah I, I i haven't made any trades um because i've been doing all this wedding planning man this is this is taking so much <laughs> of my time um i did see that uh i think it's speculated that the hop airdrop is coming out tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so that will be another thing for me to dump. So <laughs> congrats.
0: <laughs> do you dump the whole thing? Like, did you dump all of optimism? I forgot.
2: No, I always, I always dump 80% like yeah. pretty soon. Like maybe I'll, I'll dump 50% right away. And then I, I kind of wait for like a little scam pump and then I dump yeah. all the way up to 80%. And then I just, I hold 20% kind of forever. Cause I, I actually am bullish optimism hot protocol like you know these are things that like 10 years down the road you might you might just like have and be like holy shit we got that for free and it's like worth a lot you know
1: Hmm. aren't you glad you joined this optimistic podcast we have a 5x (laughs) short buying puts and uh dumping free airdrops so welcome
0: (laughs) steven you go and i'll wrap up
3: yeah i mean i've i've been trying to sit on my hands as much as possible. I mean, we're, we're basically range bound in the market right now. So it's that kind of environment where you can really get uh, chopped up a lot if you if you don't know what you're doing. And even if you do, it's been like the, the Bitcoin scam pumps up and down have been pretty crazy. I, I've just been kind of trading this range Bitcoin is in. It's been very almost too easy. You just buy 29 and like sell 31 <laughs> over and over again. Um, I'm expecting to break out of that at some point, maybe when volatility reduces a little more. might get ready for a move. Uh, The the other thing I did this week that I think is kind of interesting is I I actually made another DeFi play, again, for the first time in forever, Hmm. Uh, although the yield is already down quite a bit. But I I borrowed some uh, LINK and uh, UNI tokens against my stablecoins, and I bought the uh, GMX GLP pool. GMX is a decentralized trading platform on on Arbitrum and uh, AVAX. Um, So by doing this, you're you're kind of like half shorting the tokens. And then you're getting a... Well, when I did it, you were getting a 30% yield. Um, It's down now to 25%. But like 9% of that yield is actually paid in Ethereum, which is pretty interesting, I think. Uh, So I, I think it's kind of like a... Fun play during a bear market because it's like kind of a short play. It's kind of like a yield play. Uh, do your own research. Don't put all your money in this, please. Um,
0: but yeah, that's that's what I did this week. Epic. Um, can I just say, and this might actually be some alfalfa, is like how much better we sound. You guys' microphones, like we upgraded all of our microphones finally. <laughs> Although we weren't getting that many complaints. I was like, oh, this sounds terrible. A couple of our microphones, but we sound this, way this better This microphone now. is literally 10, 10x the cost of the previous one I was yeah, using. Yeah, so I, I actually for anyone that's into podcasting, this is like um, the alfalfa here is that I think this is the best pro USB microphone. It's the Shure MV7. And so it doesn't require... That crazy XLR connection going to an audio interface, but it actually also has it. So you optionally have both. It's basically the Joe Rogan microphone, but in USB optional format. It's almost at that at that level. I would call it ninety percent as good as the uh, as the, as the XLR Rogan. And um, outside of that, I picked up uh, the bidet that I've been eyeing. For quite some time, I went down yes! the rabbit hole of Amazon. Yeah, I'm very. I'm pleased. My, my bubble <laughs> is not I'm yet pleased. My bubble is not yet pleased. Uh, Tell me more. TBD. Um, let me see if I can pull up the exact model. And is it, is I, it
3: like one of the $15 add on ones, or did you go full like $500 I didn't go Toto?
0: I I didn't go full toilet because I don't own this place. And well, well I guess Toto I could makes rip like
3: out. Toto literally makes a thousand dollar seat. I think that you could just put. Oh on. really? It's like the yeah. It
0: it's, yeah. My algorithm didn't didn't I've
3: give thought me about that. buying it many times. But so you set so, yours up? Did you set it up? Uh, no 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 no, no. I
0: have I have not. It's on the way. Oh, I literally okay. just pulled the trigger. He's still a okay. dirty boy. I. <laughs>
3: I, I, I was afraid you'd been do. using it and your butt was still not pleased. No, so no, no. The really wipes, a...
0: the wipes will do. You gotta use two or three, but uh oh, I'm grossing myself out. But that's the so long, actual dude. bidet, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. The uh, actual bidet is called the Lux Bidet Neo 320 Plus, and I'll drop it in the Discord. And oh, it's brand catchy. new. It just came out, and it's from a brand that already was doing like amazing stuff. So the main reason I went with this one. And here's the alfalfa. After I went through every single review of these attachment add-on bidets, the main re- the main complaint that people had was cold water. I mean, no one wants cold water on their bum hole. So oh, yours is hot water? Warm water, baby. Wow. Temperature control. And it's only Ooh. $66.99. Ooh. So I am very excited. I was like, that's worth In- another $50. Bucks. You know, why not? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Oh yeah. I didn't know that so, was an option. Thank you. Yeah, Thank well, you for that. Might yeah, have to well, get I'll a drop. Replacement. Yeah, you probably should.
3: Tough times in the markets should. these days where the alphas uh the days and microphones. Um, Dude, cuz I was like if I don't say that, I got I got nothing.
0: Like I literally I got nothing. Um the wish, alphas I had, I, wish I
3: stared at the chart and cried. I watched yeah, the shop. I wept. Yeah.
0: Wish I had sold some of that optimism airdrop. But you know what? Back to Eric's point fuck it. Like I'll wake up in five years and look at that thing and probably be very pleased that I didn't. And, um, uh, I'll keep the responsibility and get the money later. So let's, uh, let's talk investing. Um, Nick, this is an area that, um, you're opening this up, right? Dollar milkshake theory. Yeah, yeah. This is an area that I know you spent a lot of time investigating, looking at, and, uh, it's a very fascinating, um, concept. So can you, Open the floor on this.
1: Yeah, so so uh, Stephen kind of introduced this to me a few weeks ago, and I kind of like forced to dive in. It's it's by this guy uh, Brent Johnson, and you can definitely search his name and find um, other podcasts where he's talk about it and, and intros and and whatnot. But the Dollar Milkshake name is is kind of uh, you know a- around the idea that no matter what the country borders, it's a reference from a movie. But no matter what the country borders exist, the U.S. is going to suck out all of the liquidity. Uh, in the world because of the immense rise in the demand for dollars. And if you've spent some time in, in the crypto world, especially, I think, you might start questioning, what do you mean the demand for dollars? Like the dollar is mm. being debased by the US government, the Federal Reserve. Inflation is running at at 40-year 40, 40 highs. And it just feels like the dollar is is worth less than ever. Uh, the main argument being that the, well, the supply is increasing, so so the value will go down. And I think it's important to remember that Currency markets are always relative to, to each other. So, you know, the best measure of the, the dollar is the DXY and that that is the dollar valued against a basket of other 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 currencies. And you are right that that money supply is increasing specifically measured by, um, I think, M2. Um, but the fact remains is that the US is not the only supplier and buyer of US dollars. And um, this is where Brent Johnson brings in the the idea of the euro dollar market. And we're not talking about euros. We're talking about US dollars that are sitting in foreign bank accounts, um, typically could be in foreign reserves or corporations and international banks. And where this really comes into play is the size of the euro do- dollar market. Yeah, I try to find some comparisons to the euro dollar market to M2, but I think my, my base case kind of like a, a market size is that it's 4 to 5x what you would consider M2 size to be, so the Federal Reserve balance sheet. And so you have this tremendous demand because of the size of the U.S. dollar market, for U.S. dollars, because, well, Europe needs to go buy oil from Saudi in dollars, China needs to go buy raw materials from Australia in dollars. And while there's a lot of US denominated debt that that needs to pay off. And so a lot of countries don't really have a choice where, you know, what they use to, to, to purchase things in. they need dollars for trade. They need it for the reserves and they need it for dollar denominated debt. And so you have this like global demand for US dollars going up even though we've been printing uh, so much because the euro-dollar market is is so large. And so where the, the global economy risk, and I think this is a lot of what we'll, we'll talk about um, in, in, the, in, in the global economy comes in, is because the US economy is, is fairly stable and we're increasing interest rates. And foreign countries' and economies are not doing so well. So if you have economic activity in these other countries slowing down, there's less dollars circulating around those countries, and so you can see how this turns into a vicious cycle. Less dollars around because the, the, these other countries' economy decreases, so there's lower supply, but still demand. These countries need the dollar because they need to pay debt in dollars. They need to pay goods for dollars. So they end up printing a lot of their own currency. In order to trade for the more expensive dollar, which increases the dollar value even more, and this this like vicious cycle can can continue. So you might end up with if you take in the extreme scenario, I guess like a sovereign bond or, or currency crisis. Um, and so I think you know that's that's where it's probably a good place to stop and kind of like uh, check in. Like that's the I think the thesis around the um, dollar milkshake theory: the U.S. will will suck up a lot of liquidity. That the U.S. dollar will rise, and this whole effect has this vicious cycle that it causes other countries to have to print more, which then increases um, the value of the dollar because the currency markets are all relative to each other. So, I guess I'll stop there and just see, like, Stephen, did I mm. miss anything, or you know, anything to add on? Yeah, there?
3: I think that's a pretty good overview. I think I think you can simplify a couple things because, like, I, I think the theory in general is 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 actually pretty easy to to visualize. So, like the the milkshake in this metaphor, is liquidity, right? So the idea is that all of the countries of the world, basically, are injecting liquidity into the system, right? This is, this is the milkshake by QE and money printing. So there's all of this liquidity out there in the system. Now, the U.S. has a straw because the U.S. is tightening now while all of these other areas, areas of the world are easing. Tightening sort of means that like we have we have higher interest rates here on our sovereign debt, right? Like the thirty years over five percent now, I think, and the ten years over three. So, what happens is you're 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 sitting on euros. Your country is basically printing money, or your 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 area is printing money. Your, your interest rates like negative, and you're like, wait a minute, why am I holding euros? And getting negative 0.1% in, in this bond, I could just convert this to dollars by treasuries, get 3%. And then I can buy this currency that's going up. And then everybody sort of starts doing that. The, the, those high interest rates like suck the liquidity from the system uh, into the dollar system. And that causes this kind of vicious feedback loop. Right. And then Nick, you also mentioned other areas of dollar demand, like uh, the fact that like oil and all, a lot of these commodities are, are dollar denominated. You have to get dollars to buy these things. And the other thing I want to really stress is that there is we have we have tens of trillions of, of of debt, right, in the US Treasury. But there's also tens of trillions of US denominated debt that's issued by other countries in the world, right? So countries will issue dollar denominated debt because their currency maybe is not super trustworthy. So this entices people to actually buy the dollar denominated uh, debt because it's perceived as being safer. But what this means is that there's this huge need. I think in somewhere in the order of like two trillion dollars a year, roughly, of, of dollar demand just to finance the interest on all of these outstanding loans. Um, hmm. So these are the larger forces that are at play right now, and and this is what we've seen play out in the market over the last six or seven months, right? We've seen a precipitous rise in in the the. The, the Dixie the DXY the dollar index which is a measure of relative strength of the dollar versus all of the other uh, currencies in the world uh, and and along with that we've seen this just complete destruction of uh, of risk assets right and and for people who don't know I mean crypto especially tends to be highly correlated uh, on an inverse basis with the strength of the dollar when the dollar goes up historically Bitcoin and and other cryptos especially tend to go down and when the dollar goes down these things uh tend to go up so i know that we've all been sitting around and talking about like well where do we go from here and what are the implications of this over the next you know say three to six months and 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 beyond and what is this going to mean like if you're like a bitcoin investor or crypto investor uh writ large because i I, it's just been my own personal observation and maybe you guys uh Agree or disagree with this, but like most crypto people have this really simplistic view that it's like, oh, well the U.S. is printing money and the dollar is going to debase and everybody's going to go off the dollar system and we're going to get inflation and hyperinflation and then everybody's just going to run to Bitcoin and Bitcoin's going to go to the moon, right? That's kind of like this uh, really simple and in my in my opinion like very wrong theory of how things are actually going to play out. Where I I, I think the reality of that. Is a is, is a lot messier and, and probably the complete opposite of the, opposite of that in a lot of ways. And if you're a crypto investor, I think this is like a concept you need to be thinking about because you're you know a lot of the stuff we invest in is not going to escape these types of like large uh, global macro headwinds. Um, so I'll leave it at that. I don't know if anybody I'd, has I'd anything like, they want to add to that. That's
0: the most interesting part to to me personally. I, I I'd like to go deeper on that because. Mm-hmm. When I sit there and I, I look at this theory and I see the fact that it's like mostly playing out and it's very interesting that it's like some assumptions are probably slower or off or whatever if you want to be a perfectionist about it. But it's mostly playing out. And so the question I'm left with at the end is kind of a so what question. Like what does this mean for the individual? What does this mean? I mean, you're if you're a citizen of another country, it's obviously a very bad thing for that person to hold the currency of that nation and if obviously the value of the dollar is going to keep accumulating and swallowing up and liquidity is gonna keep going toward like, like everything is just gonna get sucked up by the dollar. I wanna play out the like, what's the most interesting part of this for you guys? What happens on the other side of that? So Steven, you're saying you're taking a contrarian view and saying that it's actually gonna be the opposite of what most people assume. So, what is it going to be? What do we think it's going to be if it's in line? And what does Brent Johnson talk about? Because like most of when everything I've examined is like everyone kind of nerding out about the fundamentals of the theory without talking about the actual after effects of what happens then. Because I think that's the scary part that no one really wants to look at.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think when you when you're an investor, like like path dependency is really important depending on the duration of your. your your timeline, right? Like I invest on much shorter timelines than most people probably should, to be honest. So um, there are Bitcoin hodlers who have a 30 year time horizon, right? And if that's the case, then yeah, I guess you can fast forward to that and not worry about all the stuff in between. Right. But, but, but to me, if you, if you have this idea that Bitcoin's value is going to come from someday becoming a reserve asset that stems from the eventual, Loss of faith of the dollar and all of the fiat system in general. I fail to see a point where everything doesn't go to hell before that kind of like rise from the ashes of Bitcoin takes place, right? So if you think that's the path it has to take, where ultimately, um, and and like Brent will say this in a lot of his, his 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 podcasts, right? He's like the 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 idea is that any sort of event, in his opinion. That would ultimately lead to the demise of the dollar will first lead to the extreme rise of the dollar because the the U.S. is going to defend its status as a reserve currency. We do have like a extraordinarily large military and and big grip on the world. And um, the dollar is a weapon. Right, like we can really, really weaponize that because of the dependency of other other nations on it. Right, so even if you are a believer in this thesis, right, it, it's it's a it's a worthwhile question to ask yourself, right, to to say like, okay, well, if I if I believe this is going to happen eventually, but before that happens, everything goes to hell. Well, shouldn't I just wait to invest until everything goes to hell and not buy Bitcoin at thirty k now? Like, shouldn't I buy it at like 8k in this apocalyptic scenario or just wait until that apocalyptic scenario no longer looks like it's going to happen and there's like a different scenario like i i think there's like this possibility there's a real possibility we just sort of enter like some stagflationary environment where nothing like extreme happens and it's just like kind of a really terrible period for the world but nothing blows up i actually think that type of environment could be really good for bitcoin once the kind of risk off trade uh goes away and everybody's really just dumped everything and we're we're kind of left with that environment um but the other one we're talking about where there is this like financial currency crisis ultimately uh Brent I think says that we're going to have to have like another plaza accord moment that this was this point in time in the 80s where all the countries had to get together because the dollar was getting so strong that it was basically destroying the world right the dollar getting strong creates this feedback loop where everybody else's currencies get decimated they can't afford to buy like it currently buy goods anymore, right? Your, your, ability to buy oil that's denominated in dollars keeps getting more and more and more wrecked as the dollar goes up and up and up and up and has all these other knock on effects. And eventually everybody had to get together and just agree to sort of just devalue the dollar. And I think Brent thinks we're going to have this moment where we reset all the currencies ultimately. Like this isn't like a, the dollar milkshake isn't like a rosy theory. Like e- even though it involves the United States ultimately, um, Doing better than everybody else in the short run, it does end with everybody else getting wrecked along with us. And there's this sort of reset period, which I think is why he's such a fan of gold because he thinks gold is going to be something that we turn to. Like there'll be this move to say, hey, we need to, we need to back these currencies with something again, maybe at least partially uh, in order to kind of like restore this faith to the system. And I think that's the point where we can say, well, would is there a chance Bitcoin could be that thing, or, or, or a part of that basket of goods, or is it going to be more that you know people who are jumping off the the off the Titanic and looking for a lifeboat are, are going to just cling to the the, uh, the the plank of wood in the ocean, the drift that is Bitcoin, and maybe those flows kind of push it up. Um, I'm still thinking this this through, to be honest. I'm I'm not sure exactly what the next kind of three to six months is going to do to Bitcoin with these these forces because I like like I said, I see these two competing forces, right? You have the the risk off trade, which is just sucking liquidity from everything. And that's obviously very bearish Bitcoin. and the dollar going to the roof is 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 very bearish Bitcoin. But you have this other opposing force, which is that like inevitably, I think we all see that we're going to re-enter this like new paradigm of like kind of infinite money printing again because eventually the people are going to start coming with pitchforks and the politicians are going to have to figure out some way to ease the pain because politicians are inherently short-term thinkers and whatever the biggest pain right now is, is is what they focus mm-hmm. on. And Right now, the biggest pain is inflation. Ergo, we have this kind of uh, big uh, Fed move right now to just, just basically crush it and we're, we're seeing the effects of that uh, right now. What do you think about that, Nick?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in real quick and then Eric would love to have you chime in with uh, thoughts or, or questions? Cause like, I think at some point we should kind of take the red team on this and see what mm-hmm. we don't, don't maybe not believe. because you know, we're, none of us are macro specialists, but we're trying to like walk through this theory. Cause it's, it is kind of playing out a, as we see like yen is at, you know, multi-decade lows against the dollar the the euro is at multi-decade lows against the dollar and while we all can go travel and buy cheap sushi and and cheap hotels you know what we're really trying to like examine in this thesis is the greater worry that the the global economy could could collapse essentially and so i, I think mm-hmm. you know to your point the the bitcoin bull case could could still exist. You think that fiat currencies will all eventually go and, and be uh, less worthwhile. But I think what this theory is saying is that pain will be first. The, the dollar will go up and there will be a lot of pain uh, at, at first. And and so I started to think this through, and I'm like, okay, so let's say that the global economy starts to, to collapse, right? There's this vicious cycle. Economies are going down. They have to print more money. Um, dollar keeps going up, and, and trade becomes an issue. And so you're like, well, what does the Fed really care about? Because the Fed could could kind of put a stop to this if it wanted to. But like you said, Stephen, what they really care about now, and I think what is most politically relevant, is, is getting inflation down now. And I don't think they really care as much that... Some of these emerging markets might suffer in the meantime because you've had the U.S. I think during mostly during the Trump administration, like kind of like take a step back as the the global hegemon, the kind of like world leader, if if you will, and you know having the dollar being powerful, I think is a way for us to to re-enter the, the geopolitics market and say, hey, we have a bargaining chip here, and it's it's the power of the U.S. dollar, and we can relieve x countries uh issues uh by potentially you know um helping you out like giving you uh you know some overnight swap window or wh- whatever it may be like we can work something out if you play ball with us on the geopolitics part so um and then so i started to play that out and i think at some point though the dollar increasing to a certain rate hurts hurts the u.s right I mean, that, that is going to happen. And, and maybe something else breaks before them where the Fed has to pivot. And I think that, that, that does play out. But at a certain point, the dollar hurts these other countries, but it also hurt, hurt, hurts our, our homegrown companies, right? Because our exports get more expensive to other countries. And so demand for our exports will, will decrease. And so U.S. companies that are selling out to the rest of the world may see, uh, less profits and and that'll affect things. So, um, I don't know. I think that's an interesting, you know, thing to, to try to play out. I don't know, Eric, what have you been thinking about this whole thing? There's a lot of moving moving parts and I think you guys all bring (laughs) up good points. Um,
2: my, my first thought, like when we even brought up the topic was like, not thinking about the fundamentals of the dollar milkshake. It's like, how is this investable? Like, how do we play this thing with our dollars? And, um, you know, my first thought after that is like, okay, so the DXY, is rising, um, but it's it's not, it's not rising that much. You know, like over the last year, it's up 13%. So that might be, that might seem high to somebody who follows dollar currency markets, but it, it doesn't seem high to somebody who like invests in crypto. Um, and then over the last five years, it's up 9%. So like it is up, um, but it's not like, this doesn't feel like a liquidity squeeze. This doesn't feel like GameStop. Um, so I guess my question to you guys is like, what is the liquidity squeeze potential here like I, it isn't, I, I don't feel like it is as squeezy as Brent Johnson makes it, makes it seem, but like it, if, if this is playing out and if this is valid, like, you know, how high does this even go? And then how do we invest in it? Cause like owning DXY, you're going to, you're going to make 13%. Like that's not, that's not that good, you know? Well, if you're, if you're that's playing with talk.
3: FX, right, you know, it's a, uh, th- there's a reason why FX is like a big leverage asset class like you just can't you can't trade currencies you can't trade these moves they're so small without using leverage i think there are some leveraged etfs you can buy as like a normal pleb who doesn't have like an fx account i guess if you want to get exposure to it but it is it is kind of tricky i think for regular people to kind of put on some of these trades and um and to profit from it right i think to to give you some idea i know i know brent has said he thinks the yen is going over 200 Real and quick, what's the time like horizon
0: right now on this theory? Like what are we talking about? There's Literally two opposing over.
1: views, right? Yeah. Like I think I think some people think this plays out really quickly over the next 6 to 9 months and then mm-hmm a lot of things break, credit markets break. You just see like a global uh, economy or the GDP in other countries go down. um, And, you know, maybe at some point the fed stops in and steps Mm -hmm. in to, to, to kind of stop this. And I think he's mentioned on a few podcasts that he thinks this plays out over five to seven years. And that, you know, when you see these big trends happen, they don't happen, you know, in a straight line, they kind of have fits and starts, but he thinks in, in general, this, this is like a, a five to seven workout scenario. And so that that I think those are the two perspectives on on timelines I think i'm I'm more in the the shorter term uh, timeline that like um so you feel it, like if the,
0: we can beat the short term squeeze problem in general and overcome it that we won't we won't see this like it won't it won't just be like a little hiccup along the way, and really the whole thing plays out in five to seven years
1: yeah, and i I do want to pick up on Eric's point about how to play this. we should definitely talk about that, but like i I, I I, I struggle to see where the Fed doesn't step in, but I, I also don't know, you know, if if them stepping in means pausing the increase in interest rates. Um, you know, I don't know if that stops the problem. I think they have to ha- would have to go back to full easing in order to to stop this kind of vicious cycle from going on. So while I think something will, multiple things will break, and the Fed may step in, I'm not sure if it if it just like kicks the can down the road or actually puts a stop to it. So that's where I get a little, you know, confounded and and it it seems unclear.
3: I think we have to remember why QE existed in the first place, right? Like the Fed started buying bonds because nobody else wanted to buy bonds, right? There was no demand there and we had to issue those bonds to fund the government, right? So I think people are just kind of attached to that idea and just assume that's the norm and we go back to it. Um, I, I question if in a world where there's tons of money flowing into U.S. treasuries. Like, wh- why would you have to do QE again, right? Like, why? It, it, it seems to me that if you play, like, the game theory out, right, like, if I'm just thinking of this as a, as a board game, we're in the situation where we have this exorbitant privilege of having the U.S. dollar... Basically, no matter what we do right now, the dollar goes up. There's just this crazy uh, imbalance of supply and demand of of dollars in the world, right? So if if I'm a U.S. politician, I, I feel like I take advantage of that to just helicopter drop money on everybody, all of my citizens, and have them buy stuff again and make them like vote for me. Um, we saw this like in, in Australia, right? Like the, the, the opposition party is basically running on a, we're going to airdrop money to you to buy houses because the housing market might collapse, which it, it is like the, the housing market there is insane. But like all of the political parties all over the world who are opposition parties, are they're, they're going to start running on this populist like we're going to give you money type thing. So I, I, I fail to see how we're going to avoid creating the money and creating the new liquidity at some point. But I don't think it's a given that you're going to do QE again. I think we may just issue bonds. I think um, Michael Cow on Twitter, I think he's Urban Cowboy, he's even floated this idea of them kind of steepening the yield curve at like a very long duration by like issuing 50-year, 100-year bonds, right? And basically like kind of pushing all this demand at the end, which basically would allow the... Um, the Fed to do different things, that have more flexibility at the the front end of the curve, uh, without uh, causing a problem. And, and I think this is a little um, different to what Brent thinks is going to happen because I know he likes to talk about the scenario where ultimately the yield curve inverts because things start going to hell. Uh, the the lower rates come down, the the, the near end rates um, kind of go up, and then we get this. Behavior that happens where you basically can kind of borrow money for free on the short end, which encourages risk taking, which causes a blow off top and then kind of everything explodes. I think that's how he sees it playing out. I don't have a strong opinion on where it goes yet. I think for most people, the idea is probably to just sit on sitting on cash and waiting, I think, for like most people is going to capture, you know, 80 percent of the value without having to put on a fancy position Hmm. right now, you know.
2: I just had a, I just had a thought, you know, and I haven't like, I don't think I've thought about this as deep as you guys, but I just had a thought. Like if you mm-hmm. apply the milkshake theory to, to other assets, like, um, okay. So let's look at stocks, right? Stocks are priced in dollars. They're going to get hit by a higher dollar. Like Nick said, they, they earn foreign dollars that are going to get devalued at a faster rate. This is going to hurt stocks. But at some point I think U S stocks become a bit of a, a milkshake as well. Cause like, what are you going to do? Invest in like Foreign companies like this is this is way better. You're like you want Apple, you want Amazon. So I think there's going to be a, a huge inflows into U.S. stocks, and I think that you can kind of apply that same logic to a lot of good assets, like Bitcoin as well. You might just get like massive inflows into better assets.
3: That that's a good point, mm. and I think the milkshake theory does basically say that stocks too become the milkshake. I know that Brent has said that blue chip companies right basically at some point shift from treasuries to, to being the, the thing that all the money flows into. and I, I, th- I think the thing I'm wrestling with as a crypto investor right who is it, it definitely in the past bought into this kind of Bitcoin is an inflation hedge. Um, it's a uh, monetizing the debt hedge type thing. I'm still struggling to come up with a really good argument for why owning Bitcoin is that much better than just owning like blue chip U S stocks with like strong profit margins. Like why is that not also just like a really good inflation hedge, you know? So that if, if anybody has a good uh, retort to that for me, I'd, I'd I'd love to hear the argument because I, I I think it's, I think it's very plausible that people might just want to put money there instead of a speculative, you know, kind of magic internet money asset that doesn't, really have any actual utility beyond that at the moment.
1: How does ether play into that? Because, you know, post-merge, either there's yield, there's there's fees, there's there's real revenue in the, in the protocol. Like does does ether kind of separate from Bitcoin in your mind as you kind of play what you just mentioned out?
3: Ether is not as compelling as Bitcoin is for the sort of narrative that there's going to be a global shift to scarce assets or something that preserves value over time and the and the the idea of gold right like ether does not have a better argument than bitcoin there but where ether i think is is far stronger is that there there is this obvious utility and demand for eth to 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 do things right like it, it by like a huge factor over bitcoin right so I think in a scenario, I think you there are very plausible scenarios where like Bitcoin kind of loses out to gold and this sort of kind of larger macro trade or doesn't capture the exact amount of market cap people think it might. But then ETH ends up winning because of just sort of Generalized technological adoption, right? Mm-hmm. The just the, the network gaining additional usage, people building apps, people using it, plus we've got these kind of magic tokenomics on it. And then there is an argument for why ETH should have a monetary premium. And like right. the Bitcoin mm-hmm. one is still very nebulous and faith-based to me, to a degree. That's that's kind of what I'm struggling with there. So, guys, I so want so to move on to this. I do want to cri-
1: go back um to uh, you know, the, the, the original thesis, because I do have a scenario where this kind of like solves itself. Um, and I, I want to get your guys's arma uh, uh, like input on it. So a rising dollar to me means inflation will go down. It, um, you know, because like most of what the U S citizens, uh, spend money on is, is from goods that come from in raw materials that come from other countries. So if the U S dollar gained strength, the, the cost of importing other goods, you know, goes down. So does, does kind of the rising dollar solve, solve itself by inflation going down the fed, then kind of stopping in, in, increasing rates and kind of things level off because one of the things that creates this vicious cycle is that rates are so high. You see 10 year treasuries, you know, around 3% and that's, that's, that's crept above what, what Chinese bonds, um, go, go for. It's definitely what other, you know, sovereign, uh, debt, you know, goes for. So, you know, the, the higher yield on those treasuries, definitely contributes to this vicious cycle where people want to get more yield as, as interest rates go up. So I'm just kind of like, I, I do think there's some scenario. I don't know what the probability is that higher dollar equals lower inflation because we import so much Then fed chills and less vicious cycle because uh, sovereign bond rates kind of like level off or, or go down. I think it's a
3: little messy because I think you can make arguments that high dollar causes inflation maybe not here but like abroad because i think a really high dollar can kind of wreck the purchasing power of your currency and if there's no kind of outside the country demand for your currency because everybody's using dollars right there's going to be a lot of pressure i think to like issue more debt to kind of fund you know gaps in the the purchase power and liabilities and stuff like that and then that's kind of how i think that's kind of how these like hyperinflationary cycles actually Mm -hmm. start um and The U.S. isn't the only country in the world that buys Bitcoin, which is why this is like kind of complicated. And I I have struggled to kind of like weigh like, oh, what what if the U.S. is strong, but like Europe goes to hell and all the Europeans jump on board or what is the effect of all the third world company uh, countries jumping on board? Like, Do they move the needle? It's it. It really is like a, a, a super difficult problem. Uh, to to wrap your head around, and it
0: it's something that uh, keeps me up at night and uh, occupied in the shower at all times. <laughs> we should well, we should. So our- I think on that on that note, um, I think we we can actually weave some of this into the crypto legislation talk because some of the crypto legislation talk also affects mm-hmm. the decision making of how you play this in the short term. To Eric's question, but obviously we've had um some clarity brought to crypto um in a very significant way for the for arguably the first time and um there's there's a lot of things that i think you know everyone has a very split opinion on this about how we're moving forward we're getting the clarity we needed but there's a lot of good um, rough stuff in there and of course um like nick or steven or eric if you have something else to say about dollar milkshake and Brent's plays. Let's finish that and move on to the. Yeah. To the I'll just
1: like, I think listeners probably want to know, well, what is Brent? So Brent believes in this theory, obviously he kind of created it. What does he say, you know, how, how to play this. And so you can obviously play these like easy ETF dollar go up um, um, plays, but he's, he's generally bullish on commodities. And I think he kind of divides up commodities into, you know, metals uh like like things like copper, you have things like energy, and then you have agricultural um commodities. And so, you know, from what I've understood from his his like interviews and, and writings, he says agricultural commodities most bullish on um because they don't um they won't not have a decrease in demand. So because of this dollar milkshake plant theory playing out, you kind of have this like controlled destruction of like you know the the global economy. And you may see decreased demand in things like copper and steel um, And you may even see decreased demand in things like oil because demand is going down, the uh, economy is shrinking. And so, you know, agricultural commodities like corn, wheat, rice, things like that, um, which may not face the demand pressure, may, may go up. And then, obviously, he's a, he's a huge, I think he's a pretty big gold bull. Um, so, anyway, I think it's just important to just make that note what, the, what his like recommended hmm. plays are and then kind of go from there. Gotcha. All right,
0: Eric, Let's do crypto it. legislation. Are we all selling everything? <laughs> like,
2: uh, no, I actually think that this is like a really a, a bullish evolution. Um, okay, but, but I want to I want to start from Bring it. from the from scratch because like, look, I, I read this entire uh, proposed bill and it's like seventy nine pages. These things are so hard to read. I do not have a legal background. I'm like going page by page. I'm like this is freaking impossible. <laughs> so like, I want to get my info from the primary source the same thing
0: happened on the announcement of like this whole thing and this whole process it was just like so fucking terrible to sit and
2: Dude, I, all of this.
0: then do you find
2: yourself like reading somebody's analysis, but then like also questioning like, well, what, mm-hmm. you know, how did he get the information? Cause I'd read the freaking thing. It's it's hard, you know? Yeah. So I think where I landed on it I, and there, there are individual sections in there. It's like there's sections on stable coins or sections on uh, you know, like what is regarded as a, as a security and like what um, regulatory body should govern each of these things. Um, but where I, where I really landed on the whole thing was like, was like, wow, they're actually really, sort of bullish. It seems like they're bullish and they, they like want to make this thing succeed Mm -hmm. in a way that they can still have their claws on it. But it's like, it's no longer like, this is a scam. This is gonna ruin the US dollar. This is gonna ruin the Fed. Like it, it just seemed more of like, okay, hold on. This is actually pretty real and like let's get everybody on board. Uh, but that's that's sort of where I'm at. Uh, if anyone's totally to taken from agree. There.
0: I, I don't think enough people are actually mentioning that. That there was like a very dominant fear that this was just gonna be like the ultimate bitch slap from the government and everything was just gonna go like extreme regulation across every space, across every type of whether it's DAOs or stable coins or whatever, and no one was going to be able to do anything. No, I think you're exactly right. Like, they need to have their claws in it, they need to have some regulation. I think that a lot of people in the crypto space are actually pro regulation, and it makes sense. Like, if we want this to succeed long term, and I, and, I, and I felt the same way, but I, I couldn't do it. I was like, I, I'm just going to read these Twitter thread analyses. <laughs> uh, you know, it was just too much.
1: There there was one point I was a little shocked at was the the de minimis like allocation, like basically like anything under $200, you can trade back and forth um, without any tax consequences. And I I was, I was kind of shocked at that. I mean, I was also, you know, kind of surprised by just potentially categorizing uh, not only Bitcoin, but Ether as a commodity Um, seemed, you know, pretty surprising. And I'd love to hear if you guys have any, you know, like counters to, to to ether specifically as a as a security or not a security but um yeah i was kind of like pleasantly shocked and it it seems like you know the bitcoin maxis were definitely a part of this uh legislation but um and i have some other thoughts but in in general i I thought that was one of the things i was shocked at was like we could trade stuff back and forth under 200 and not get taxed like there seems to be so many loopholes based off of that. Like how many transactions can you loop together at $199 to like get out Ooh. of the taxation? Um, so, you know, <laughs> Does so, anyone so much have, of, like
0: some highlights though. Like, can we start macro with the highlights? Cause for, I'm sure a lot of people listening to are like, just, I haven't, I haven't looked at this thing either. Give me, give me the things that stand out. <laughs>
1: I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can try, like, Eric, do big, you have, do you have, no, no, I, I was just
2: going to say that you mentioned the big highlight, the big highlight is they labeled, uh, Bitcoin and ETH as commodities that would be, uh, regulated by the CFTC. Um, so those have like, uh, less stringent requirements on reporting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think for people like the, the, the TLDR, of this is that Bitcoin and ETH are probably going to be very safe from what I am understanding, I think there's a lot of kind of systemic risk involved in buying anything other than those two because there's could there be this looming threat of it being declared a security and maybe not dying but having like some major hurdles to overcome that could be like super negative on price right so I, I think if you're buying anything other than those two cryptos at this point um, you're, you're you're being slightly suicidal uh, I was really. <laughs> I was really shocked that they excluded staking income as being like, it, it, it's apparently yeah. not taxed, which is incredible and yeah, really sell bullish. It. That's like for, so, for, for so good for ETH. But like, I, I, I have a lot of mixed feelings on kind of Bitcoin and its involvement in this. Like I, on the one hand, I, I think it it is good that we're getting some sort of regulatory clarity. Um, on the other hand I've been kind of getting this vibe where Bitcoin is feeling to me like some of these crappy institutions we have elsewhere in the world like you know media institutions like we 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 see this pattern right where people have this this product and the product starts sucking but they want to maintain their share of the market so they sort of turn to regulatory capture to sort of entrench themselves and to like maintain their edge. I feel like Bitcoin is kind of walking a fine line right now. And like when you read through Twitter and you read the responses and the, the general sentiment of Bitcoiners, it's a lot of them like rooting for ETH to be like labeled as a security and all this. And it, it, it really rubs me the wrong way. So I, I, I feel kind of dirty about that part, you know. But I also think that from a price perspective, if this sort of ends up in a ending up where like okay, we end up with an ETF and Fidelity and Goldman can sell Bitcoin to their clients, you're just going to have this built-in incentive for the banks to basically shill these as financial products for us to their their clients so they can kind of collect their fee and it is going to make the number go up and I don't know what the long-term effect of that is going to end up being in the long, long run, but it's probably pretty midterm bullish, but I don't know about the ethos, you know?
1: I I, I kind of got that feel too. You know, like I think in general, we saw this was, was when we started talking about social media regulation, like when Facebook was up and doing hearings, like typically regulation benefits the incumbents, right? Because like regulation provides all these like expensive barriers for new entrants to, to enter, and when I saw this legislation, I originally thought about Coinbase, FTX, like the big crews that are lobbying and the big kind of incumbents benefiting from this. But then I kind of got the sense like the Bitcoin community is trying to also benefit as being the the original incumbent uh, from from this legislation. And and you know my my general takeaway on the the look going forward is this: this is going to take a long time, and like I think this thing is going to change quite a bit. You know, I think this thing has to go through four committees, first, banking, intelligence, financial services, and agriculture, agriculture because CFTC uh, looks over commodities. Um, and this thing uh, is going to morph, and we may not see a vote on it until till next year. And so what I'm looking to just see what what plays out is, how these different um, crypto lobbying groups are going to take action because we have this weird thing where crypto doesn't have one big lobbying group. I I wrote out three that I identified. There's the blockchain association, which is like uh, Ripple, Crypto.com, Kraken. And then you have the uh, it's called Adam Association of Digital Asset Markets, which is FTX. And then you have the Crypto Council for Innovation, which is Fidelity, Coinbase and Square as the big backers. So you, you don't necessarily have mm-hmm. like all the incumbents like coming together and putting a lot of money in, in one force. I think they'll generally agree, but we'll we'll see who has the biggest influence. And, and my, my biggest fear is that DeFi protocols are, are not part of, part of this voice and part of this influence. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, when this thing uh, finishes up, you know... Coinbase and FTX will happily play along with some regulatory um, things they need to subscribe to, but but DeFi protocols, you know, may not have the, the voice they need um, and, and the voice that like, you know, crypto consumers need to, to, to be able to kind of hold hold their own crypto and, and, and kind of keep things in, in their own wallet. So that, that's like a, a just general fear I have, but I get what you're saying about mm. uh, the Bitcoin community, Stephen.
3: Yeah. And I I think the last thing I'll say on this is it's it's very apparent to me that Bitcoin has like a much stronger foothold within government and far more influence in government than Ethereum does. And this did read to me as being very sort of nebulous for DeFi. Um But a year, two years to get executed isn't really that long because that could line up with the start of the next bull market, right? So if you end up in a situation where the government and regulation and banks all end up being like aligned on the side of super pro Bitcoin and some of these elements of Ethereum that were kind of propelling us through the last market are kind of being held down, like, I don't know, maybe you have this kind of Goldilocks zone for Bitcoin to kind of do its bitcoin thing again which it didn't do at all last bull run and just just go to the moon and leave everything in the dust it would be very counter to the narrative that we all are kind of hearing constantly as like ethereum people Uh, but it's it's something that we should consider and be open to i think with our long-term investing uh theses
0: there's one thing that stood out to me um the bankruptcy definition changes i think that really stands out to like users and and sort of maybe more the 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 typical crypto investor who's buying on an exchange has a lot of concern and fears around that and um yeah there's a win that makes it clear that assets deposited would get returned to users and not liquidated i thought that was a nice little (laughs) example of like regulation working in the favor of uh yeah, of the people <laughs> yeah I, yeah
1: i was like kind of open to some of the regulation like i was very open to stablecoin not necessarily like mm-hmm. regulation but just like in terms of reporting like it would be nice if all stable coins had like a very uh defined taxonomy in which they use to report reserves even the algorithmic stable coins like just some like uh i don't know formula in which they report like how it works so that consumers can can, can decipher a little easily, like what they're getting into. And I think they, they had that part, you know, part covered in the bill, but, um, yeah, I I think that part I was open to and we'll see how this plays out for sure.
0: All right. Any hot, uh, takes on this uh legislation or can we just get i, I to have wanking? nothing
3: i have nothing spicy uh, for you let's uh let's uh
2: yeah let's just move on, on. I, I could talk more but let's just let's get let's get to the next yeah no,
3: i feel like i feel like this has been a very serious episode so far very like serious. We, needed, uh, we need a little we like uh we, we, we put on our like big from... boy serious caps this episode we get Dude, a, very, we're gonna have
0: dessert it's like, look, we 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 don't just talk guns and porn. I mean, <laughs> I, would pref- I would prefer to, honestly. Um, although the Tinder effect is a little porno-y. Uh, a little bit, but not really. It's softer. So, um, Stephen, you introduced us to an idea. Uh, it was a very simple chart that provided some data that I was absolutely shocked and floored by. And I feel like we've just been like, talking about this ever since and in shock at the reality of like what is happening and just for context like we're all in our 30s and uh, I think that a lot of what's happening to people in their early th- early 30s and 20s is, is very different from the reality that we experienced growing up into adolescence and becoming adults. The world has completely changed so What's going on?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was sort of a combination of two things, right? So I saw this stat about uh, men, like 18 to 30, and it was just a simple question, like, have you had sex in the last year? And in like 2008, I think 17% of men said uh, said they hadn't. And recently that, that number has jumped up to 30. So we've almost... Double that number in, in basically a, a decade, and I was like, "Oh man, that's there's some stuff going on." And I and I know that this is kind of a trend because I, I like to kind of keep tabs on what's going on on the internet. And we, they, there are these movements, right? We obviously know about like the incel movement, right? Um, but there's also like kind of like a medium in between incel, no not really I, incel I, movement.
0: I, I forgot. In, what is the incel movement like? In, in, involuntarily
3: celibate. They're all like the kind of angry. Yeah. They can't get laid. But there's, there's this other movement of men online called MGTOW. Which is like men going their own way. This one really, Where they're like, we could get laid, but we kind of are over women because they suck. And we're just going to do these other things instead. Right. So it's like, (laughs) it's like one over. So there's there's a lot of these movements going on. And we we hear all the memes about like Chad and Becky and stuff like that all the time that these people talk about. Um, But this led me to a Medium post um, by at worst online dater, which is a funny thing to brand your Medium as. And and they write about a lot of uh, online dating stuff and with a lot of uh, data. So there's a lot of really interesting data and analysis in this post. Um, I could just pull some stats that that jumped out at me. Um, They basically concluded that the bottom 80% of men are competing for the bottom 22% of women and the top 78% of women are competing for the top 20% of men. So there's this kind of like real... It's like what we had in the, the real old tribal days where like basically the big gorilla would sort of get all of the women and then the men would just sort of fight to the death to kind of get that. It was, it was really... It's kind of a bad thing for just society. It's why we started kind of doing, doing the we'll, we'll pair off. Where do you guys uh, so place yourself
2: on that, uh, on that spectrum? Uh, <laughs> yeah, what's your inbound demand? I'm
0: the biggest gorilla <laughs> in town, buddy. <laughs> 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 this back like, is silver. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I
3: feel like... I feel like everybody here is doing okay, but I have (laughs) I have sympathy for people out there who maybe aren't. And this is why Um, they did a they did a thing on the the Gini coefficient, which is like an economic measure of inequality, like the distribution of wealth in society and equated it to Tinder. So if Tinder was a country, it would be like the in the 96th percentile of inequality in terms of like who gets all the spoils. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> like the, the, uh, the medium woman is, is, is getting 35 times as many likes per week as the medium man. What and, about, and an average man sex? has to have 115 women go through 115 women just for, for, for one to like him. Right. So it's, Ooh, it's, it's,
2: it's well, hold <laughs> on. Cause I think that that data, that data can be skewed by, um, just sort of like behavioral uh, differences yes. like when I was in San Francisco living with three dudes uh these guys would wake up in the morning and before they even like went up to pee they would just be like this for like 10 minutes just like right 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 just you know get the pipeline loaded so you the know pipeline uh, loaded just, but <laughs> that, that doesn't but that—that that was you, that, of course. That, that's, yeah, yeah that,
3: that's you're, you're looking at for that from the other way, you know. Like
2: this, this so, is but of course they're getting women, more swipes if like dudes are just doing. No, a it's
3: not. A, it's not a matter of swipes. It's a matter of women not picking more so than men swiping with like high volume, and there's just like kind of like really massive imbalance of like how the the two sexes behave on Tinder. But I'm like I'm curious to kind of go back to the original stat where a lot of dudes aren't 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 having sex anymore. And I'm, I'm curious I, like, I, what you guys think the root cause is because I don't think it's just... Yeah. Suggest- well, you got
2: me that going on Tinder very- and now you want to go backwards. Like, I, I, I think the incentives on Tinder are a little bit broken because you can't... Like, you can't see who liked you. So it's always in your benefit to like, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, you want to give yourself the optionality... Rather than, but just only a left. man
0: does only a man does because and and so i actually to argue your point like the the behavioral bias of men versus women the women are looking for different things like the man just wants to know the dude just wants to know is this going to be an option what are my options tell me what my options are in the first place who's my match speaking by the way as someone who's never used any of these dating apps and then the the woman is actually Uh, consciously diligently going through the process of assessing the individual (laughs) and determining (laughs) if they deserve the swipe. Absolutely. I've had so many friends tell me like they'll look and just based on look and a couple quotes on hinge or whatever be like, yeah, okay. You know, dating or marriage material. I would, I, I would, cause they know that the moment that they say yes, you're going to show up like a fucking hound dog in their DMs being like, what's up? What's up? You want to drink? What do you want to do? And like, I've heard worse things, by the way. Like, I know people that just literally go like, you're hot. Like you down to hook up, like, and just go straight for it. So they don't want that in the first place. So many of them want to protect themselves from that behavior in the first place. So they have to have that wall up of making sure that they're choosing appropriately. And that is a major part of what's skewing the data for sure on Tinder, at least.
1: Kid, kid was married before even dating dating apps came out. Like you got strong <laughs> opinions for someone who was you know locked up before that, all though. this stuff even came out. I, 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 I agree with you, but I'm just uh, poking at you because you know you haven't I, really I, played.
3: I take offense no, with uh, Eric's analysis of this too, that the reason the, the, the match rate is one out of 115 is because guys <laughs> swipe a lot. That's totally backwards, right? As, as, a, as a guy, right, if you are indiscriminately swiping on everything, your conversion rate should go up. Like if you only swiped on 10s and you were a five, your conversion rate would be like one in every 10,000 girls, you, you right? Took so the that's wrong, the you problem. took the wrong
2: metric that I was arguing. You, you, I was arguing the metric that girls get more, uh, get more likes than guys. Yeah, Girls obviously like, I, get more likes than guys. I, I was just trying
3: to like focus in on the, the despair of the, the poor 80 percentile man
0: on online dating apps who's just getting absolutely okay, let's, wrecked. Okay,
2: let's take it back there. Let's take it back yes. there. I, got, I, I got do have a stuck question, though.
0: I have a very important question. What is the data on women and sex? Are they abstaining... Or no. not having it as well? No, they're,
3: they're, they're, they they're just going, the same they're, they're having a great time. Steady. Yeah.
0: There's a steady, is it rising? Large, rising? large
3: divergence. Um, I don't think it's, eh, no, it's, it's risen slightly. Women now are 18% and I think in, but they were, they were like 14%, 15% in 2005. So it hasn't. Changed okay. a lot, but it has it has ticked up, and I, I think there are some reasons I mean, I why have, both have ticked up. I have up. a very
0: hot take. Okay. Oh, give it give it to me. <laughs> I got a hot take and then I gotta go run to the bathroom you guys could <laughs> i got too much liquid here. Okay. So uh this is like one of those, like literally pulling it out of my ass takes, but I think there might be something to it. Why do I think that men are not having as much sex as they used to and as frequently? Okay. The first thing about a man attracting a woman in the first place is knowing how to talk to her in real life. No matter how good your game is via text, you eventually have to show up and you have to overcome a few hurdles that this person, this woman has for you to qualify you to ever wanna engage with you sexually, right? So if you never really grew up in an environment where you practiced that in the first place, you basically have the equivalent of a lack of game. You never walked into the bar and just talked to women. You never learned how to, how, how, how to take them out on a date. Maybe you're more the romantic type. You don't want to just hook up, but you never even had an opportunity to practice that. Maybe you do just want to have sex and you want to hook up and you get overly excited on that date when you finally meet up and you throw them off and they want to run away from you. And I think that really what you ultimately have here is a bunch of guys that are growing up in an on like i I, i'm gonna be boomer about this i think that the social media aspect of things the online dating aspect of things has made so many dudes i mean how many times do you guys go to the bar with our friends with friends in general or just watching and observing and you watch it and and you see that the way things used to look and behave was people used to actually mingle there was more of this like walking over to the table with girls, saying hello, buying them the drinks, flirting, saying something funny, just just like banter. And all that banter is gone. Most of it, at least like some guys going to say, oh, I still I still have game. I still go out. I still do this. Like my brother is one of those. He still does great when he goes out. Right. But he also is on the apps. Why is that? Why has that decreased? Because they know that they can go home drunk at the end of the night open the app, and that's where they're going to get the high. That's where they're going to engage. That's where they won't get rejected. All they have to do is swipe, and then eventually they'll match with someone and they can go into DMs and maybe have a chance at meeting up in person, only to fuck it up all over again by the time they actually get out in person. Because <laughs> they really need to be doing is exercising the muscle Of masculinity. And I don't mean masculinity like this traditional, like masculinity. No, no, no. I'm talking about the energy that makes the opposite gender attracted to you in the first place. That feeling that, like, Wow. Okay. This is a responsible person. This is a secure person. This is an attractive person. This is a person with charisma. This is a person who, who, who just knows how to even walk and sit and eat. And then they're like, yeah, okay. Like, and, and look, like it's gotten to a point where over the pandemic, like a lot of girls, like, I mean, they, all my girlfriends, you know, told me they're like, man, I, I, I'm just hooking up like anybody who wants to. And guys said the same thing. So like, I think that things were different during the pandemic, but in general, I, I, I blame Tinder. I think that Tinder is the problem. I think people have lost the ability to talk to one another, to show up and go on dates and hook up and, and, and I think that they overly rely on these apps. And porn. I think that porn is probably the the, the other biggest reason <laughs> yeah, bring if we want back. to go back to the last episode. I, I really believe that like they go home, they, they they swipe on Tinder, and I don't mean this to with any disrespect to anybody who actually does any of these things. I don't mean it with disrespect. I mean it with like, I think this is where things have landed. So if you're hearing that and it sounds true to you and it resonates, then it's like, man, yeah, maybe I should like uh, abstain a little bit because I think the combination of swiping and porn and that instantaneous dopamine that I can finish and get that sensation and that feeling and not need to get the risk of getting rejected is a major part of why people aren't having sex. Okay, I'm going to go pee now.
3: You're,
1: hmm. you're you're relieved to relieve yourself. Yeah, That's a good <laughs> rant. Good rant. <laughs> <Yeah>. Go pee. <laughs> which, which one of you guys
3: wants to respond to that first? will I'll give you the floor. I,
1: I kind of agree. Like I, I, he's basically saying there's less hunters out there. Like there's less guys going out and hunting in in real life. And I think what what he's really saying is like there's a dopamine replacement going on, right? Like you you definitely get dopamine by interacting with the opposite sex when you're single and like you know having that high come from from that mingling. And maybe that there's a combination of dating app dopamine and porn dopamine kind of coming into play and replacing that, you know, in our in our internal chemistry, in our brains. And maybe it's satisfying some part enough where people are maybe, I shouldn't say people, but men are just like kind of getting the dopamine they need from that. And that's, that's obviously not good because, you know, Darwin would say you 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 know natural selection is taking place, and and your gene pool will not survive on to the next. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of get what he's saying in terms of like dopamine replacement.
2: I do too. Can, can I go, Stephen? Before you go, I think like what 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 I'm seeing now is like kind of what Stephen was bringing up before, which is like let's talk to let's talk to the guy who's like. Who's struggling, right? Because um, if you're if you're on the apps and you're in the top twenty percent, you're getting all the chicks, and it's so easy for you. You're probably also the guy who's going to the bar, and it's like very easy too. Like, um, I guess like we we probably all know a friend of ours who's like not Cristiano Ronaldo, but like does well <laughs> in real life, like at the bar scene, right? Like just because they they have the the charisma and the and the swag and whatever, and they can like kind of like you know be attractive despite not being just like a gorgeous uh aesthetic but it, where, where it takes my mind is kind of like isn't it all the same like so you're swiping and it's like a very materialistic surface level aesthetic driven thing but it's the exact same in real life you know like you go to the bar and the guy who looks freaking gorgeous and is all you know, the same guy is, like, getting the same love in real life. So, like, I think it's I think it's very similar. But to Armand's point, like, if, if you're not that guy, you do have to build another skill set. You got to be, like, the funny guy. You got to be, like, the, the charmer. You got to be, like, some uh, charismatic. You got to, like, build a different skill set if you're not the Cristiano Ronaldo.
0: That's true. Yeah, and it's I love that you're bringing that up, Eric, that, like, you know, looking at... It, this is a question of like just a person of of anywhere in the world average however in the in the eye of the beholder looks and is trying to go out there and meet somebody and struggling and so obviously it's like maybe even going to the bar is not a really cool or good or comfortable situation for that person in the first place and so they have to find their game and i think that's why game theory Uh, became so popular for so long. And I I, I don't know much about it. I I never really looked into it. I only heard like in passing, we have a good friend who, who, um, you know, you guys all know, who worked with him, Um, Mystery. And you know the person who developed this whole game theory thing and so i've i've just over the years of hearing that stuff like oh picked up on theory. it and you're talking yeah. about the book the game like is the that, game. that yes look? yes, yes. stephen <laughs> was about to go <laughs> prisoner's <laughs> dilemma yeah, oh, yeah. Stephen, <laughs> i'm <laughs> like Steven what does nash have dilemma? to do with dating like <laughs> i don't understand <laughs>
1: um
0: no i'm talking about dating i'm talking about yep. picking up picking up chicks um, nash was a big um, which either. a lot of people um hate on but actually ended up truly transformed from as far as I can tell and seen, looking outside, you know, outside looking in. Changed the lives of a lot of men and a lot of women for the better who found somebody because that person built up the ability to have some courage, to have some self-confidence, to have some charisma, to go and make those moves and those comments that eventually lead to love. And sometimes it led to, from what I've heard, manipulation and games. Uh, no pun intended, because I think a lot of like actually what happens with this whole the game, game theory and dating is a lot of bullshit games and a lot of like pecking and insulting the woman in order to get her intention and just weird things like that. Negging. But I think nagging. Yeah, but I think if done correctly, <laughs> owning. So maybe maybe do, do you guys want to keep going on like why this is happening? But may, I, I, I just going to give like one one thing that I think is I like want a, you to go where you're passionate, man. I'm okay. What I'm passionate about is I think that there's something that a lot of men don't understand. Um, the way to attract a woman is this came up in our text thread the other day, and Eric and I were debating this a little bit. There was a video of um, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman saying that never chase a woman, let her come to you. And then Eric was like, strong disagree but I think we were speaking past each other. So let's like now have the moment where we speak to each other about it. I believe that the right way to attract a woman is to own your entire sense of self and not be overly focused on her. So to a certain point, I agree with Mr. Freeman that like you wanna give her a little attention if she's in the bar, you, you you don't want to not say hi. You don't want to not be you don't want to be invisible. You want to give her the attention, you want to flirt, you want to you want to do the thing when you hit up in the DMs, you want to be direct. But you also want to show that you have a life of your own. You have a sense of yourself, you have your friends. You you if you're in the bar and she suddenly stops paying attention to you when you're trying to talk to her, immediately stop giving her the attention. Because if you keep on like being aggressive when she's showing you like, I'm not into this conversation, you lost already. Like if you go for another 10 seconds after that, you lose. So that moment, turn your attention towards something else and let the light, the metaphorical light in the room shine on you. It sounds crazy. Steven's laughing, but I have done this. The romance romance novel, you guys. So many times (laughs) to great effect. And um, my wife's gonna be okay with this because she she often asks me, like, what was your dating life like? And she doesn't care. I had a way of being able to shine the light on myself in a way where it was like I wasn't doing anything. I was just owning my my zone and being myself and not being like, "Oh, please like me and, you know, blah blah blah." And like just all like all my hands and knees. What that does is when when you show who you really are and 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 she sees other people looking at you and you're in your zone and you're in your element, that's the attractive element that starts to shine and then they go, "Wow, this guy is actually like legit. He wasn't just like trying to hit on me. And he was just saying hello. And then all of a sudden, next time you come up to her, you notice her demeanor changes. You notice her attitude changes. You give her a little, you walk away again. You give her a little, you walk away again. So I I agree with you, Eric, that like you have to hunt. You have to hunt. Women want the directness. They want you to tell them what they want. They don't want you. They don't want you to wait. They want you to most of the time, by the way, we're talking like very generally here, they want you to tell them this is what I want. I want you. I think you're beautiful. I think you're hot. I think we should go on a date. I think we should whatever. But what they but you you have to play a bit of a game. It's a bit of a dance because if you're overbearing, you have to back off a little bit and let them let them come to you. Am I am I off here? I don't know. Do you now? Do you, you agree with that at all?
3: You're like I you're like
0: mostly right. You know, mostly right.
3: Hey. Works for me. Are you, are you familiar? <laughs>
0: with, are you familiar with the
3: onion theory where? Like there are these layers to social interactions, and if you go to sort of too deep of a layer, it's perceived as like very oppressive by the other person, right? So like when you and I first meet, right? Like if I've never met you before ever, right? And I just go up to you and like give you a big kiss on the cheek, you'd be like, "Whoa, bro, that was what? What the get get away from me? That was I, I've I've gone too deep in the onion, right? I need to go through the first few layers. Like like if I came to you and I grabbed you and I went. Mwah! On your cheek, you'd be like, oh, that was a little weird. But you wouldn't, yeah, be, that, like, that you wouldn't would actually be like, be very I am weird. I am going to throw you off the balcony right no, now. No, I Which would just like, be so like, so, Stephen, I didn't know you were Persian. Like, the yeah. very Persian of you. <laughs> 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 like, women want those things, but, like, only after you've breached, like, a particular layer of the onion, right? They don't want a guy to say those things to them until they're like, ooh, like, there's, like, been this, like, little bit of, like, a... A, a breach in the the defenses, right? And then they're like, sort of, somewhat interested in you in one particular way. And I, I know a lot of guys when they're trying to figure out how to talk to girls and everything, they 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 think it's this like act of like persuasion where they like go up to a girl and like convince them to like them or something, and they sort of end up mm-hmm. being like groveling or pathetic, and it it, it never comes
0: across well. Um, because they, I agree. I agree. They just want to see that you're comfortable with yourself and that you're funny or you're charming or something. uh, And that you're not like freaking out about the fact that you're talking to them. Like that's really it. I mean, I think an important framework to understand, like even like the
3: Tinder data, right. Is that like, there's a giant kind of asymmetry in how like men and women behave when they date, right? Like women by default, try or are they're they're trying to date to like move up status right talking about homogamy? status
1: means different things what's that talking about homogamy homogamy is that what it is no, hypergamy. Hypergamy. hypergamy 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 yeah hi- hi- hypergamy rates right? this
3: idea that like women tend to date to sort of like move up uh, in social hierarchies and men don't do this right now now what the hierarchy means is not like the same to all women like some women may think that just means rich guys right but other women like there are other elements of you that make you socially desirable that they like and want to be around like so really funny guys right they have like a aura about them people like them they're likable and like people want to be a part of that you're bringing them up into some sort of social element with you women like are, are attracted to that right but because women only go in one direction, like either the same or up, right? And men will—you see, rich guys just, oh, oh, she's pretty. Like a lot of guys do that, right? So you have this like imbalance where the women are only dating up, but the men date in both directions, and that's why you get these crazy stats where you have uh, you know, eighty percent of the women chasing twenty percent of
1: the men. Why are you laughing? I'm oh, sorry. I'm just <laughs> laughing because, like, it's like quintessential you to to break down like this, like feel of like <laughs> of like a, you know uh, courting a woman into like a framework and like data and like this this like theories that like uh, <laughs> that, that that look this, this is structure. this is and what I, I agree with you. you but what it's works just for like did, okay. it gives like me chuckle. It gives me a chuckle. W- w- when <laughs> I
3: was, young, I don't know how to talk. I mean, I still don't know how to talk to women. Let's be honest. But like when I was younger, I really didn't know how to talk to women. And what worked for me was ultimately like approaching it. Like I was kind of learning how a new protocol works. I'm like, okay, what are the rules of the game? How do these players like do? And I, it was just this like game that I would figure out the rules of and how to operate in between. Right. It was very like so, fake it till you make it. So it was here, very like
0: autistic approach to your, <laughs> your game theory was like actual game theory. <laughs> like you, you actually played a very different game. I like that. I yes. like that a lot. Yeah, yes. You, pl- you played the real version. I
1: wish you would have g- so gave you- me
0: the rules, you know, when I was 16. Jeez. Yeah, nobody gives the rules. Well, uh,
1: the you problem you is when you're
0: young,
3: tells- your mom tells you stuff, and, like, her advice is oh. so bad, right? You're 14, and your mom's like,
1: just go up to her and tell her how you feel, and she'll see what a great boy you
3: are. And then, inevitably, you get <laughs> laughed at, and then you're, you are you, you go into the bathroom and cry. and You, you know, you have, like, scars for years, because you're like, what happened? I thought... I just told nice girls how I felt and how pretty they were and they would like me. And now I'm just like a loser, you know, and yeah. I'll never forget all of getting you rejected.
0: Uh, seventh grade <laughs> seventh grade dance. That one was the most painful. The one I wanted just who are you? <laughs> Something like that. I don't even remember. I just blacked out. What do you guys think is, is the root of the issue then? Um, we mentioned porn. We mentioned Tinder itself. Is there something more? Is there another alternate um, sort of take here that is causing people to just generally abstain? The, the The two biggest things, in my opinion, are the
3: built-in dating structures that are inherent with men and women, combined with the rise of women. Like the average woman's like social status and power has been rising dramatically. For the lat- mm. for for decades, right, and and th- this is like a big problem in New York from people I talk to, right. You have a lot of like really successful, powerful women, and they want to date the same exact sliver of men that all of like the models and the college. They all want to date like the same men, right? Then they all they're all mm. dating up, and it creates this like kind of nasty environment where like the men at the top of the food chain are like so overwhelmed and overstimulated and over pursued that they like can't like commit to girl like they're. There's, there's this like theory of relationships that sort of posits that you're attracted to somebody sort of in direct proportion to your like perceived alternatives, right? So the more like perceived alternatives you dump on somebody, the less happy they're going to be with what they have because your brain's like, well, maybe maybe that's better. Maybe that's better. Maybe that's better. So when you combine that with something like Tinder where your brain is seeing like all mm-hmm. of these people, like so many of them, like it's this like really nasty combination of stuff. Um, that's kind of causing this, right? And yeah, it's it's not that's one thing, but that's, that's sort
0: of my broad take on it. I mean, I could rant about this for hours, no, and no, no. I won't do I, that, but. <laughs> I, I, love, I love that one because I think that uh, another aspect to what I described and what we've talked about is pre-apps, so we're talking at least 10, 10 years ago, at least mobile mobile dating apps like Tinder, your only option of meeting somebody was walking into a bar or going to yoga. So the number of women that you ever even had the opportunity to to have as an option in the first place was what? One one hundredth of what it is mm-hmm. today. I mean, yeah. you can't even you can't even do the math on that. You they just still can't believe you. They still believed in soulmates back then, by the way. You met like six <laughs> girls in your entire life because now back then like you it it required the physical placement of you in that place and there were only let's just say like in that entire bar three to five women that you were attracted to then you had to actually go through the effort of like the swipe became basically the approach you know the swipe is analogous to like the approach now when you can swipe a thousand times a day i mean you're basically you have access to the entire city of women that are on the app and that optionality is very overwhelming to steven's point i know some people that are like at a place in their life where they probably should be like dating more seriously and settling down and they just kind of can't and i don't think they consciously know why okay so but i know it, why <laughs> i think that's right it, the optionality
2: is the problem like you you throw a kid into a Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors. He's going to be walking up and down the aisle for like 15 <laughs> minutes, like trying to choose. Well, can I sample? What well, can I sample? But if you, if you throw him in front of like a soft serve, it's like chocolate or vanilla. He's like, okay, swirl. And it's like, it's done. It's done. They get, you got two options. You're, you're gone.
0: But we we also lost. I mean, it's like some of the people that we're talking about and I'm thinking about are are sampling. They're trying all the flavors along the way, so they're not having any problem with like having sex, but they are having problem with like settling down. But the problem with like having sex, I, I that one's so complicated. Is it's is so is there
1: some aspect of this of like the faux pasness of of masculinity? Like I might be in trouble for saying this, but like maybe you know the Me Too movement was was good, oh, God. but like shut it down. Ma- shut sorry, it down. sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna say like may- maybe it over-indexed at, at some point. You know maybe it over-indexed at some point, and so like did did it become? Uh, I don't know. Did masculinity get under-indexed, and so you know that the idea of like like Armand, what you're saying, the energy you're talking about, like is not as as popular, mm-hmm. is not as like it's not seen as like correct. And that maybe decreases the, the hunter mentality. I, I, I like totally
0: that. agree with you, but it actually—I'm positive that it's still what women want in many ways. Yeah, I and disagree it's what with works. this. I—I feel like
3: most I think people I know still want traditional masculinity. No, women I feel like want idea, it, but it's—it's it's it's this like meme on Twitter that's not like real life. You know, it's like another one of those like fake narratives that's like shoved down your throat, but like nobody actually thinks like that, or very few people. But the culture is
2: telling you not to do that even though women still want it.
0: Yes. Yes. And I think a lot of women believe that they don't want it and then their feeling tells them otherwise. Like, I mean, you watch the conversation happen. Like, you can see this happen in front of your eyes so many times where they're like, well, I've been told that like, that's not, you know, exactly how this whole courtship should go. This whole situation should not behave that way. But then as soon as like, the dude who actually like really shows up and like, we're not talking about toxic masculinity here, guys. We're, we're talking about just traditional, like a man who knows what he wants, goes up to the woman, flirts with her, is charming. All that stuff has gone out the window because people are terrified of doing the wrong thing and saying the wrong thing. So yeah, over, a, a bit of over-indexing for sure and an overreaction to the movement is totally true. I think that could definitely be another factor here. Well, to build on what you
3: were just saying there, like, do, I, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys watched sex in the city back in the day, but I, I, I did. <laughs> you know. Um, there's this like episode. I remember I was watching it in high school. It was like, I, I had like this, whoa, like kind of realization moment. And it was, it was the episode where Miranda realizes that, uh, everything she hates in real life, she likes in bed. And then she has this like crisis because she's like this like powerful woman who's like and she's like who am I what's wrong with me and and I, I remember being like seventeen watching that being like first off like I have absolutely no idea anything about women because this is like whew. Um, but uh, then I I thought it was like an interesting concept like that 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 struggle that you're talking about where people feel like they they're told they don't want a particular thing, but actually they they kind of do want some of that thing on some level. And it's it's confusing because all the messages we get are just like not kind of aligned with reality. You know,
0: we've lost the polarity in relationships and polarity creates the attraction in so many ways. And that doesn't mean that two powerful people can't be together but typically one person is getting the the sort of edge, you know, maybe they're powerful in the real world together, but in the relationship, there has to be a dynamic of polarity. And if that doesn't exist, there's confusion and there's a battle and that battle will just create resent between them and it's not fun. And so that doesn't mean that the man uh, you know, always has to be in that role. There are plenty of people that I know and men men that I know who actually are fine. Like they, they prefer the woman in their life to take charge of the relationship. And that's a beautiful thing, as long as there's polarity, as long as there's balance there. If you have two people who are both passive or both overly like dominant and aggressive, um, and this applies to every kind of relationship, by the way. Right. Like, uh, you know, it's we're not just talking about like straight relationships, even in homosexual relationships. You still see that polarity like it always exists. Now, I'm I'm literally just these are all my opinions here. Like this is just me talking out of my ass. But as far as I've seen in my own subjective experience, people love polarity. And I think that a lot of the masculinity that is what created the attraction and the ability for the guy to close and Get laid like he wants to in the first place is gone due to
1: a lot of the things that we discussed. So what else you guys got? I mean, you you need a crew to do that. You need a crew to go out in the bar and, and, and go out and, and do the hunting you're talking about. You need a crew to like go out and and be wealthy. You can't do, do it all on your own. And like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's my attempt to kind of tie it all together, but like, you know, you, you definitely do need, you do need like a, a close group of friends to kind of do both what we've been talking about, which is like, you know, make, make money, get, get wealthier, you know, kind of, uh, you know, observe the, the, political world around you and observe where you are and orient yourself but you also need it um, I think you know in in the dating game what we're talking about
0: you do you got to have a crew Um, I guess the question is what is a person like are a lot of people actually like too much solitude happening as well where you know they're just on the apps they're not going out they don't have a crew to go out with in the first place I think that's actually more common than we realize as well people are people are lonely as fuck right now for sure, this doesn't help.
3: Your your brain thinks you're getting less lonely, but it's just like it's it's not it's not real, you know. Should I not, then you should get I not tell to people that. to
2: join Alpha Alpha's Discord because it feels <laughs> like this is actually hurting? Like, should, <laughs> should people not join? <laughs> what? No, the Alpha Alpha
3: Alpha Discord is great. It's a real community, real people hanging out doing real stuff. It's not a bunch of swipey photos and people making their face like AI. Altered so that they're 23 and like a supermodel, even though they're a, a dude, you know, it's
1: there's no faces. Uh, did you, I this did you guys hard. see
3: that? Uh, did you guys see that uh, guy on Instagram who was posing as like a young Japanese like dirt bike rider and he had like a hundred thousand followers or just tons of followers? And then, like, he it just realized it was revealed one day he was just like a 55 year old Japanese man using Face app. <laughs> he wow. built this whole account and he was just like, yeah, you know, nobody would have cared about me if they knew I was a guy. And I was like, oh, that was sad. No way. <laughs>
2: yeah. Deep
3: fake. Um,
0: I know this wasn't our intention or anything to be all like to give tips or anything. It was more of an analysis, but like um, maybe just like finishing with a with a tip because I feel like it probably felt terrible for someone sitting there who would like to be in a relationship who hasn't been. Like, uh, there's some, there's some wisdom here. Like maybe we just share a little wisdom, like, okay, you've been struggling. Here's a tip, a little hot tip.
2: Okay. I'll, I'll go. Cause, uh, i never got to respond to Armand's, um, Morgan Freeman thing. And oh, I yeah. wanted to point out where we, we align. really. It's like, um, I agree with you that, uh, you know, Morgan Freeman said, don't chase women, let them chase you. I agree with you that like, it's not even about what Morgan Freeman is saying. It's like, it's about knowing yourself, having confidence in, in, in the self-awareness of, of what you value and, and, and who you are. And then in that you're going to know what you want. If you know yourself, you're going to know what you want. And And then, and then I think where, where Armand and I kind of differed is that like, once you know what you want, then go get it. Like, don't, don't let it come to you, go get it. But I think like we align mostly on that stuff. And I think like to, to people that are struggling, it's like, is get inside and know, know what you're about and, and learn and like really, really take the time to, to learn and, and know what you want.
3: Wow, I love hmm. that. That's pretty good.
2: I mean, like, I, I kind
3: of sort of agree with the Morgan Freeman thing it, it partially. I think people spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to effectively like, trick people into thinking that they're better than they are, they're funnier than they are, they're better looking than they are. Um, It's just kind of like a lot of smoke and mirror stuff. I I think that people in general just need, especially if you're a guy, right? You need to put more time and effort in, like away from the table, away from the game to like actually just become somebody who is more desirable, right? Like I think like 90% of of, of, of getting women is related to just investing in your own self development, like in becoming a better person, becoming a more desirable person and and working on yourself. And I think if you do that and then you just sort of learn how to carry yourself properly, like people do come to you right now, that doesn't mean like you, you don't have to at some point take a step to kind of grab onto what you want. Like Eric said, but in general like the, a lot of the sort of quote unquote lead generation if you want to call it that comes from like all the years of hard work you kind of put into making yourself a better person i think not in some magic book you're going to read and you're just going to go to the bar and suddenly you pick up every girl like that that to me is like the the nonsense a lot of people believe in but it's actually a a, a longer harder process like away from the bar to to kind of get to that point
1: hmm I think there's something to like, um, if you want to find someone you love, like you got to do what you love, like the, and that will lead you on that process. It may not be like a quick process and it may zig and zag, but like, if, if you have hobbies that you really enjoy and, and, and things that you love and you get passionate of those things, like you will come across people and people of the opposite sex that kind of like vibe with that. And I think that it creates more social interactions for that. But like in, in trading, you know, we haven't talked about risk management a lot on this podcast, but it's certainly a part of it. And I think this is where you throw <laughs> risk management out the fucking window, you know, like your, your downside risk is is not that bad. Like rejection is not that bad. And, and, and in, in trading, you, you can be um, on the losing end a lot as long as what, what you lose is, is minimal. And when you win, you win big. And I think there's something to take forward to that. Like when you're approaching the, the potential opposite sex is like, you know, you might lose the majority of the time, the majority of the time you might get denied, but like the, the, what you lost is not that big. You know, you lost a little uh, face time and a little confidence and you can build that back up. But the upside is, is such a big reward. So you don't have to, you know, win all the time. You only got to win once. Mm. All you need so is mean, Yeah, exactly. So just uh, throw the risk management out the window. Mm, Love that. Yeah. Um,
0: I guess for me, it's like, I think there are two different approaches, whether you're looking for love or you're looking for lust because of the stage of life that you're in. And sometimes you're looking for lust and you find love. So if you're looking for love, I think you can't say it much better than what Nick just said. You know, go spend time doing the things you love. You'll, You'll probably meet someone awesome. That way by just genuinely being yourself But but I do think there's a lot you can to do to generally be more attractive And this applies to both men and women actually Um, Because I think there are plenty of women. I know it's not as much But I think there are plenty of women are like why am I not getting approached? Why am I not getting you know guys asking me for my number as often as I would like? Um, So it applies it applies to everybody. This is a human problem. We all want to be wanted. We all want love We all want sex (laughs) And I think that the number one thing, there's an inner game and an outer game. The inner game is really know who the fuck you are and everywhere you go, like exude that and be centered and be grounded. You don't have to fake anything to Steven's earlier point. You really don't have to turn yourself into some facade or some version of yourself that you think is attractive. The moment that you do that, you actually seem fragile and you come off like a house of cards because people can see through that. What they really wanna see is you. They wanna see you, your true essence, your soul. I know that sounds corny, but people want connection. Just like we have in our Alfalfa Discord. I think one of the reasons we have such a great community already is because everyone Everyone's showing their true selves. Everyone's being a little bit vulnerable and like really just talking about who they really are and where they're, where they, you know, how, what their level of investing expertise is like authentically not putting up a front of any kind. So when you're out and you're talking and you're meeting and you bump into someone and the thing that you're doing at the, that you love at the photography class or at the yoga studio, there's no need to front. Now the outer game I think is really simple as well, because one of the things is your outer world can create your inner world so if you start exercising and you start feeling better about your body i think it makes your inner world feel better too so like feel good look good you know really try you get yourself a new wardrobe like these things that people think are like vain i don't think so i think like putting on some nice clothes getting a good outfit not wearing those old ass baggy jeans not wearing that you know frumpy sweater like i really think it significantly makes a difference you know do your fucking hair. Put on some fragrance because then when you walk up to somebody, and I, and this is for me, I'm coming from the Persian
1: who's like <laughs> you know, seven squirts. <laughs> for his are you cologne. wearing
0: are you wearing cologne right now? I'm positive about this that it leaves it. a lasting impression, and that uh, every woman I've asked says that it's nice when guys wear a little bit, and they wish guys more fragrance, wore fragrance more often. <laughs> Find something light, put it on, be a little Persian. <laughs> Nick, you're you're. I'm not the only one. Nick wears some too. Eric starts to dabble every once in a while. Yeah, but I don't. I call think it makes fragrance. a big difference. I, I call cologne, <laughs> it's, it's <different>. perfume, dude. <laughs> no. First yeah, of all, I, I worked in the men's fragrance department. It's called fragrance. <laughs> of course you did. Of Nordstrom So I know my fragrance Back the Oh my fuck god up. I can totally see you With
3: like the beard And your little suit Just kind of Gucci <laughs> oh, slippers man. And the Nordstrom everybody up Yeah Oh man Unfortunately you I didn't have The beard
0: back then Fantastic I you think I've told the story before Such a good night this weekend I used to fake a French accent To sell more oh, I think I told god. this before Oh Yeah Come on man I was living off my commissions <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes So I'm serious Make yourself feel good. Make yourself look good. Love yourself. Get laid. Have fun. I think it's a good place to end it. Great, great ending. beautiful. Good job. I love (laughs) you guys. This was awesome. Love you. See you guys in Discord.
2: That was fun. Later, guys. Until the
0: next episode. Peace, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We love you. See you in the Discord. And uh, all links at alfalfapod.com. Until next time. Peace.